All right, can everyone hear? Yes? Too loud, not loud enough? It's good? Okay. So Molly gave such a wonderful talk last evening. It's, um, I'm finding it difficult to know where to start uh, or what, what can be added. Um, so I thought maybe I would start where I started on Friday evening, if you can remember back to Friday evening. I spoke a little bit about awakening and 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 the um, the Buddha's the Buddha's intention and his goal in his teaching was for awakening to provide uh, a path to awakening. And um, if you remember, I I read a couple of definitions from the dictionary that awakening is or if you want to call it enlightenment or liberation or being free, whatever you want to call it, the dying out in the heart of the threefold fire, lust, ill will, and stupidity, more commonly expressed as greed, hatred, and delusion, or desire, aversion, and delusion, or ignorance. And then the other definition was nibbana, or freedom, liberation, enlightenment, is purely and solely an ethical state to be reached in this birth by ethical practices, contemplation, and insight. So these, these, two, um, these two definitions together give um, quite a powerful um, image I would say of what of what liberation is, and if we take the first one, the dying out in the heart of the threefold fire of greed, hatred, and delusion. When we look at when we look at the world, or at least when I look at the world and all the all the things that are going on now with climate, with politics, with um, with culture, with um, just with with so many aspects of life, I I look at it and I see, and and I and I keep looking at it through the lens of these of these three. And so much of the suffering that I see in the world and that I feel, I can I can see how the the source of it lies somewhere in one or two or all three of these. The, the extent of, of, of greed and the, and the increasing divisions it's creating, the greed for wealth and the greed for power, um, is just causing so much harm and so much suffering in this world. And the, the hatred that's that's being stirred up and that's growing, and 
And again, how much separation that's causing, how much division, and the suffering that goes with that. And the stupidity, the delusion. You know, just, um, yeah, just, just so many examples of delusions. And, and you know, I look in, um, looking in, in, in politics, the, the, the delusions that lead to such terrible actions and to such destructive and suffering-causing laws and rules and regulations. Um, just so much arising out of greed, hatred, and delusion. And, and, and just to, 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 to take this image and to think of how it could be with the dying out in the heart of these three. Just, you know, makes me think of John Lennon's song, Imagine. To just, just imagine if the people in authority had less of these three characteristics. And purely and solely an ethical state. And again, when when we when I see these these all these suffering causing things that are going on in the world, how so often there's an absence of ethics. Just a total disregard for any any kind of ethics, any concern really for others, for the well-being of of all beings. So awakening is purely and solely an ethical state to be reached in this birth. It's not something for lifetimes away. It's not something that we have to strive for over and over and over again through many, many, many lifetimes. It's maybe we've already done that for enough. It's in this lifetime. And it and it and and when it when it, when the dictionary puts it in this context, it's an ethical state to be reached in this birth. To me, it makes it more possible. It brings it into the realm of, of possibility. And it also points out why in the Buddha's teachings the, the ethics, the precepts, are the foundation of the practice. We can do all the practice in the world, but if our, if our ethical foundation is off, the practices aren't going to get us very far. We can so easily get sidetracked. We can easily fall into our old habits and beliefs and conditionings. Reached by ethical practices, contemplation and insight. I'd like to speak a little bit more about this contemplation and insight and the insight piece, because it really is, um, it really is insight. Insight, insight 
definition that I go by, many of you have heard this, some of you can probably repeat it as well as I can. When I, when I looked up insight in, in a bunch of dictionaries, I put together a definition of insight. This is coming from, from our contemporary dictionaries. Insight is an intuitive seeing into how things are without thought. And when I, when I put these together and came up with this, I thought, oh, that sounds exactly like what the Buddha was teaching. Exactly. It's an intuitive, an intuitive seeing into how things are, intuitive seeing into the nature of things without thought. So, so if we want to, when when we see all this um, came up in one of the meetings today, you know what what can we do about the man with no name who I won't name? <laughs> um, what can we do about him? My response was, I don't know if we can do anything about him, but we can do something about our own responses and how we are in the world. And and the way we are in the world, the way each one of us as individuals is, and the way we are as <coughs> Sangha, as a community, does have impact. Most of the time we're probably not aware of it, but it does have impact. Everything we say all of our actions have impact. They affect the world. And so it, if, if we really come to understand that, I think we can understand and open to more, much more deeply the need for our own inner transformation. And this is what insight does. Insight is for an inner transformation that cuts away at the greed, hatred, and delusion. That connects us with the way things actually are. And the Buddha offered um, what he called, he he loved having his lists. (laughs) And um, he had this, this list called the seven factors of awakening. And these, these seven factors of awakening, for me, give, um, it gives a model of, of factors, of, of qualities, of aspects that are cultivated and developed through the practice. And the first of these is mindfulness. He begins with mindfulness. Of course, this is after the ethical foundation. So he begins with mindfulness. What's mindfulness? What is mindfulness? If I asked a whole bunch of different people, I would probably get (laughs) many different definitions or descriptions of what mindfulness is. The kind of... um, 
the kind of standard definition that's going around. It's, it comes out of the MBSR, MBCT movement, and that I see in newspapers and magazines is mindfulness is consciously giving attention to the present moment without judgment. Is that, that's pretty close, isn't it? There's a few MBSR, MBCT people here. So that's, that's pretty close. So mindfulness. We begin with mindfulness. Mindfulness has a, is very important. And there are, there are many, many wonderful benefits from just mindfulness. Forget about the other six. <laughs> just, just mindfulness. And, and as we've been practicing here, probably most of you, some of you, all of you, I hope, have felt some benefit, even from just um, a couple of days of mindfulness. So what, what kinds of benefits do we experience? Hopefully, we've experienced over these couple of days some settling and some quieting. And certainly, there are, there are many factors, there are many conditions on retreat, the silence being a big one, and the, the continuity of the practice being a big one. But just the fact of mindfulness, just the fact of turning the attention inward and having a focus for the attention to come back to rest at is a huge support for settling, for, for calming. Calming body and hopefully by now somewhat, for some moments, calming mind as well. Mindfulness has a great benefit of focusing the attention. And, and when the attention can be focused along with the calmness, mindfulness brings a great power of, of knowing things, of knowing how things are. Very, very powerful practice. It's it's rather unfortunate that I would say to some extent in the absence of ethical foundation, it can be used in in ways that don't lead to the same kinds of benefits. Um, I think of how corporations are using mindfulness to make the employees more productive. How the military is using mindfulness to make the soldiers more obedient and more accurate. Um, so, so mindfulness can kind of go <laughs> in different directions. And hopefully, hopefully here, hopefully we are using mindfulness to to really explore and to 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 really um, yeah to really look into how things actually are and of course we we when we say how things are i mean there's there's countless things out there 
and there's countless things in here as well. And so to simplify it, we pick one thing, breathing. And not just breathing, but breathing in a particular place. So we can direct the mindfulness to one, one, one single thing, and that in itself contributes to the, the calming and contributes to clear seeing of how things are. So we begin by looking into ourselves, our own being. So really, the, the meditation is, is an examination of who am I? What am I? What is this thing? That, what is this, this mind-body, this whatever you want to call it, that has been given the name Norman? And so it's an examination of just who is this? What is this? Who am I? What am I? Is there, a, is there an I? Is there a me? So mindfulness is a very powerful tool for this. But the Buddha gave seven qualities, seven factors for awakening. And so he... He, it's almost like he, he starts with the premise, okay, we start with mindfulness, but mindfulness, there's a wonderful book, Mindfulness Alone is Not Enough. And, um, and, the, and so the, the second factor that he gives is, oh, I might just mention mindfulness. The, the original meaning of sati, which is translated as mindfulness, the original meaning is remembering. And, and I find that a helpful, a helpful translation, a helpful meaning to remember, to remind. Remind me, remember to come back <laughs> to the object. Remind me to be present. Remind me that the intention with all this is for insight. So that, that remembering, that original translation, that original meaning of remembering is so important. I remember um, in, in, in India, in Delhi, some of you have been there, um, memorial for Mahatma Gandhi at the place where he was assassinated. And there's a, a gate going in, and on the gate it says Gandhi Smriti. And Smriti is the Sanskrit equivalent of Sati. So every time I see that sign, and I've been there many times, every time I see that sign, I'm reminded, ah, oh, remember. Remember Gandhi. It's, um, it's really helpful to have, have that image in mind. So the second, the, second, the, the, Buddha, the Buddha called it Investi- um, yeah, investigation of states. Investigation of states. So it's it's adding into the it's bringing into the mindfulness a quality of investigating whatever the attention is directed at, investigating to see how is it actually. So with mindfulness, we can be giving attention to the breathing and we see, oh, breathing in, breathing out, 
Breathing in, breathing out. Breathing in, breathing out. Oh, holding breath. Oh, big breath. <laughs> and we can we we can recognize different types of breathing. But this this investigation of states is bringing in um, an intention, an intention to to open to the experience of breathing or whatever other object we want to give attention to with an intention to know it as it actually is, aside from the labels, aside from any concepts we have, aside from any ideas or beliefs of what it is and what ha- what's happening. And this, this investigation of states combined with the mindfulness is what what brings about the knowing of the actual state of things. I'll come back to that a little later, I hope. Um, so the, so the, the mindfulness and the investigation. The, the investigation, I, 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 I usually call it, I like to call it curiosity or interest. It's, it's really about having an interest in what it is we're giving attention to. So it's not just to pay attention to it, but it's to pay attention with a real interest in knowing it just as it is. And I found a, a wonderful quote. Mr. Rogers. <laughs> Mr. Rogers said, Did you know that wondering about things is one of the first steps to understanding them? So that wondering about things, that's the investigation. That's the curiosity, the interest. So Mr. Rogers really got it. (laughs) So I would say that is the first step, along with the mindfulness, those two together. And and I, I... the, the the next one the next one the the third one that that the Buddha lists is energy. And when I think about times when when I am paying attention to something with real interest and really getting intimate with it, there's lots of energy. Have you noticed that? When you're really interested in something and really excited about it and really yeah yeah. There's lots of energy. Sometimes, sometimes at the end of the day, you know, nine thirty at night on a retreat, the end of the, the last bell goes, and you think, oh, good, I'm so tired. Uh, uh. And then, um, and then the person at the front says, well, maybe try walking for a few minutes, and then try sitting a little bit longer, and, and you go out in the fresh air and you walk a little bit, and it's, oh, this is great. Wonderful, and the energy comes because there's there's an there's a there's an interest there. Or you think, oh no, I'm too tired. I'm going to bed, and you go and you lie in bed, and some thought comes in the mind, and oh, well, that's a really interesting thought. And then, how many hours before you get to sleep? <laughs> you know, the the. The, the, the combination of the mindfulness and the interest, the investigation, brings energy. And, 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 and the, the energy, in turn, 
allows for more steadiness, more staying present with. And with that comes the next, the next factor, which is joy. And this is a factor that I feel I notice is so often missing in the practice. We get so caught up in getting it right or getting better at it or having better meditation and we end up struggling for that and creating tension in the body and tension in the mind and there's just no joy. I, I, I see it coming up mostly when I'm, when I'm meeting with people. Um, it comes up most often in people trying to get concentration. And um, we, it, it's interesting, Molly and I have been teaching for years, and I don't know if we ever mentioned concentration in the instructions. <laughs> and yet... People will come and say, oh, my concentration is just not good at all. Or, I, oh, I wish I could get more concentration. Or, how, how can I get more? Or, how can I deepen my concentration? And, and the, the Buddha is very clear that a prerequisite for right concentration, because we can use mindfulness to... to to kind of force on ourselves a kind of concentration. But right concentration, which is part of the Eightfold Path, the Buddha is very clear that a prerequisite for that is joy. There has to be some joy and lightness in the practice. And when there is the joy and the lightness, then calmness comes there's there's a, a, a there's it increases the settling it increases the steadiness it increases the energy and there's a the calmness that settles in and that calmness as it settles it becomes concentration so the concentration arises naturally out of right practice <laughs> And 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 these and these factors they they all work together. They're, the the Buddha gives them in a list, and and there is there is we can we can see in practice that there is a progression. It is one building on the other, and and each time there's a building, there's a feedback loop, and so they all end up feeding back on each other, and and and. <coughs> amplifying each other. And and all of this together brings qualities of heart mind that are able to um, to, to, to lay aside to not need the labels, the descriptions, the stories, the ideas, the concepts, and to just know, not through thought, much more through the body, 
through the body experience, to just know how things are, to know the state, the natural state of things. And the seventh, this, the seventh factor, which is also critical and which feeds back on all of the others, and and to some extent is a, a natural arising. Well, it is. It's all natural arisings, but um, it it doesn't kind of automatically fit in. The seventh is equanimity, and equanimity allows for this is. Equanimity brings about the steadiness of all these other factors that allows us to stay present, not because I'm staying present, but the staying present and staying steady and not getting caught up in um, allows... it, that, that equanimity, that, that non-reactivity allows us to be present with what is, whether it is pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. And that's, that's critical. To be able to stay open to the pleasant, the unpleasant, and the neutral. The neither pleasant nor unpleasant. And so the the um, the nature of things, the nature of things. So the the Buddha did a lot of inquiry into the nature of things, and inquiry. Just uh, just, just a word about this this word contemplation. I, I would say that contemplation is synonymous with the investigation of states. And so contemplation in the context of the Buddha's teachings is not thinking about and ruminating on and trying to figure out, trying to understand through the mind. It's, 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 the, it's the understanding, the insight that arises through the being present with an object, with all of these factors, with these factors present. Okay, so it's it's that that bringing mindfulness and investigation in a way that there's there's the ability to be present with whatever it is, just as it is, and then then it becomes known. What becomes known? The nature of things. So if we if we talk about the nature of things. And, and the thing that we've chosen, the breathing, wherever we've chosen to give attention to, um, if we're calling it the nature of things, then if, we, if, we, if, if there comes to be a knowing of the nature of this particular thing, then to be able to use the phrase the nature of things, what we come to know about this thing or what comes to be known must apply to anything. Okay? It has to apply to anything that we can 
point to, pick up, taste, smell, see, think about, imagine, anything. And so the Buddha came up with three characteristics, three things after he did all his his meditation, all his inquiry, all his contemplation. He came up with with three three things that he determined apply to everything. And and so the, the, the contemplation, the investigation of states is in a sense it's investigating to see if this is true, if these three things are true. And maybe maybe to investigate to see, hmm, is there anything else that's true? And and these three things, the first one is impermanence, anicca. And anicca, it's 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 not too hard, impermanence. We we can we can feel it. And we're giving attention to the breathing. Okay, I keep pointing to my belly because that's where I give attention <coughs> to breathing mostly. But it could be here or here. Or, um, I'm, I'm paying attention and I can feel, I can, I can begin to feel the change. So first there's an in-breath and then there's an out-breath. And the experience of those the experience of the in-breath is quite different from the experience of the out-breath. So there's been a change. I can begin to feel there's, there's change happening from moment to moment. As the breath comes in, the belly is expanding. Now it's expanded this much, and the next moment it's expanded that much. And then it's expanded that much, and that much, and that much, and that much, until the breath stops coming in. And then there's a settling, and it's and it starts to shrink <laughs> that much, and then that much, and then that much, and that much, and that much, and and when when the mind body is very settled, that that experience comes through so clearly that it's it's obvious, huh? Impermanence. We can also see impermanence in the breathing. We can see, and Molly, Molly referred to it last night, if um, a rock comes through the window, you feel the breath changes. Um, if, you, um, if you go out for a, a jog he- around here and check how your breathing is, and then go to Delhi and go for a jog around <laughs> where the air quality index is like 50 times what it is here, you'll notice a difference in your breathing. Um, um, yeah, if you're if you're lying down, resting, and just at the point of falling asleep, if you can check your breathing, it's very different than when you're sitting up and 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 being mindful of your breathing. <laughs> different emotions, different mind states, will affect the breathing. And you can start to get a sense of of how the breathing is constantly changing and how it's constantly changing in relationship to other conditions. 
which is the third characteristic, anatta, non-separateness, not-selfness. And we can, we can start to look at other objects. So we can, we, can, we can know it through the experience, not through analyzing, not through thinking about, not through figuring out, but just the actual experience will trigger the insight. And the insight just comes. And, oh, impermanence. Oh. How many have had that? Nobody's had any insight? <laughs> Good. <laughs> I think it happens a lot and we just don't recognize it. Or, or it, ha- it happens, the in- insight happens, insight arises, and, and, and something is clearly seen and known, but somehow it's, it's not strong enough to completely overcome our other habits and concepts and beliefs and, and so on. And so we easily revert to the old. And so when insight comes, it's very important to just stay steady and just allow it to really move through the being and settle into the being and not just immediately jump. This is where equanimity is so important. Insight comes. And just to be able to stay steady. Ah. And just let it move through the being and, and let it come to rest in the being so that it's really deeply known. Not to jump up and say, oh, I got it, I got it. <laughs> oh, I just lost it. <laughs> so... So, so the insight of impermanence and the insight of, of non-separateness. And so we can, we can look at other things and we can see. So I can look at this, this clock. I can look at this clock and I can see the minutes are ticking by. <laughs> it's, it's changing. These little numbers here, these digital numbers keep changing. And the, the, the clock itself... Well, I know the battery is changing because at some point we have to change the battery because it dies out. And and the the, the plastic, unfortunately, it's made of plastic. So some things we want them to last a long, long, long time. Other things, like plastic, last far too long. <laughs> and but we do know that over time, even the strongest plastic disintegrates. The strongest material, the strongest thing, over time disintegrates. Even, you know, even the earth, the earth looks and feels so solid. It's so solid, and yet more and more we're seeing how unsolid it is as conditions change. Conditions are, the conditions affect the, the, the solidity of the earth. They affect the air around the earth. And each of those in turn affects us. 
And of course, we're affecting those. The things we do, the way we live, is affecting both the earth and the air. It's all interconnected. It's all a package. And to know that, to, to know that, to, to have that, that deep insight of the interconnectedness, when we, when we know how that all works, you know, again, it, it kind of raises the, the question, how would it be if we lived with that knowing? How would it be if the, the people in authority, the people in power, the people we elect, if they were living with that knowing? And for us, for us to, to engage in this, this opportunity, the opportunity we have on retreat with these, all the wonderful conditions we have to support us, it's a real opportunity for us to, to look into these things, to really give attention, to take the time and to, to cultivate these, these seven factors. So that, so that each of us individually, who are never individual, can live in a way that contributes to well-being. And the, the, thir- the, third, the, third, the third factor that, that the Buddha mentioned is the, the unsatisfactoriness of things. And Molly mentioned last night, the unsatisfactory of things, unsatisfactoriness of things, the unreliability of things, because they are impermanent, and conditioned by other things. So we can't rely on external things. We can't rely on Mr. who I won't name. But we can rely on our own our, our own wisdom, which isn't our own. We can rely on wisdom to bring about action. We can rely on wisdom with the ethical foundation to bring about action, not my action, not me fixing things, but just a a compassionate response to the situation in the moment, in the present moment. Mindfulness. So I'd really like to encourage us all to really make full use of this, this wonderful opportunity. Opportunity to, to cultivate these qualities within ourselves so that we can, we can make healthy contributions. And, and knowing that, that each of us has a, has a role, each of us has a responsibility, 
live our lives with the dying out of greed, hatred, and delusion and living in an ethical state reached through ethical practices, contemplation, and insight. So let's sit quietly together for a few minutes. Settling into a sitting posture. Bringing attention into the body. Feeling the body breathing. All of us sitting on the same earth, breathing the same air. May all beings see into the nature of things. May all beings be free from greed, hatred, and delusion. May all beings be free from dukkha. So this time is for walking, or if you like to continue sitting, and followed by hot drink, and then the uh, final sitting together of the evening. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.